What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of X Knows All. How's everyone doing? I did a poll on my Instagram at X Knows All. Please follow me. Of what you guys would rather listen to, true crime or trending topics. And I feel, well, first of all, the majority was trending topics, thus the topic of this today's episode and what I'll be talking through today. But I do want to cover more true crime episodes and I have a specific guest in mind that has agreed to come on the show and I'm so excited for her to come on because I feel like her and I have very similar interests with true crime and I feel like she's so well researched and you know she can do all the research that you know I'm incapable of doing according to my haters everyone's like X knows all doesn't do enough research it's like well do you want to be my researcher do you want to be my researcher because I have a very very demanding full-time job working nearly 60 hours a week but sure go ahead and do my research and then I'd be willing to produce a six-part episode of a deep dive Sorry, not to get unhinged. I think I'm just so sick of seeing hater comments on Reddit about me. And I'm just I'm just over it. So yeah, I never claimed to be a researched journalistic podcast. But you know, I do I scratch the bare minimum, okay? Admittedly. I don't have enough time. But when it comes to trending topics episodes, I think that's what I'm I think that's where I really can find my, my, I shine, where I find my calling because I can cover a medley of topics that are current and kind of give my unhinged opinion. So today on, uh, on today's episode, we're going to be talking through Coachella and the sales being at an all-time low, Jacob Lordy hosting SNL, the Cloudflare layoff TikTok that went viral the past couple of weeks, Justin Timberlake's new song. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, the documentary American Nightmare, Pregnant Sophia Richie, Selena Gomez, Haley Bieber. We're going to be talking about everything under the damn sun, so let's get into it. All right, let's talk about Coachella first. I have, so living in Southern California and having lived in Southern California 80% of my life, Coachella has always been a common denominator in my life through various iterations of life. I went to high school in Orange County, as many of you know, and a lot of my girlfriends would go to Coachella when I was in high school. And this was, I graduated in 2009. So Coachella back then, it's so interesting to see what it's evolved to in 15 years since high school. But Coachella used to be this very indie kind of festival where, you know, kind of like Woodstocky and only the cool kids would go to Coachella because, you know, it was like a three-day festival and you had to spend the night and... But it's funny like seeing the way in which it's evolved now that we're in 2024. And I actually went to Stagecoach. Stagecoach. Why am I saying Stagecoach? I went to Coachella a decade ago in 2014. And this was the year that this was like the height of Coachella mania. And I went to school in San Diego. And so, so many college kids would caravan over to Indio from San Diego and camp and that was like a huge thing when I was in college and I went for the first time a year after I'd graduated with a girlfriend of mine that I worked with and it was miserable we had a miserable miserable time but I remember how what the craze was when that lineup was announced and I remember 
a couple boys that I worked with um, at this public accounting firm, they also went to Coachella the year that I went. And because tickets were surging, like you could not find a ticket. And there were so many scams of people trying to sell fraudulent tickets only to collect the money. Like it was going rampant. I was almost scammed uh, buying a ticket as well. So these three boys that I worked with, they bribed these cater waiters to hide in the in the food carts under the tablecloths to get snuck in and they got in and like this is the length at which people would go to to try and go to Coachella and it's fascinating to me that now a decade later in 2024 Coachella sales are at an all-time low and everyone knows this you know the headliners are Lana Del Rey, Tyler the Creator, Doja Cat, No Doubt and I feel like there's a couple of things that are contributing to this. Obviously I don't think the lineup is super spectacular and Everyone's taste in music is very unique to themselves. I'm not hating on any of these artists. I've seen Lana Del Rey so many times live throughout my life. No shade to her or anyone else that's headlining or anyone else that's going that's performing at Coachella. It just feels as if you could pay so much less to see these artists individually at their own tours and their own produced huge production type shows. So it's not worth it to go to Coachella. I feel like this is the problem with music festivals that I find. And I've attended so many music festivals on my day. I used to go to Outside Lands a lot because I lived in San Francisco for five years. So every year me and my friends would go to Outside Lands. And back then when you're in your 20s, like it's fine. You just want to be out with your friends. You want to be drinking. You want to be partying. You want to be outdoors. But now it's at my age, I'd so much rather just pay 200 dollars for example to see a concert for that artist in their own produced show like I would rather go see Lana Del Rey in her own production show at Crypto Arena or whatever you know I don't want to go in a sandy place like Coachella when it's literally like 109 degrees there's dust everywhere my allergies are going insane people are rolling balls on LSD and like the thing that gives me the most anxiety about Coachella is just the crowds for many a reason living in the United States but something about just it being super hot and crowds and being forced to marathon it for hours into the night oh my god it gives me so much anxiety that coupled with the headliners not being super fantastic and also in this economy the thing with stagecoach is I mean with Coachella is it's become such an Instagram photobomb festival it's no longer about the music when me and when my girlfriends from high school would go there was never any photos taken. Like there was one photo taken for MySpace of, you know, my friends sitting on the sand with like bandanas or whatever. And that was the only photo taken when they went to Coachella. Now it's 90% about the photos that you're taking and 10% about the music. In fact, I would love to see a statistic on who actually attends Coachella for the music. It's just so influencer heavy. It just feels so contrived and ugh, nothing just, nothing feels less exciting to me. Now, with that said, I would never attend Stagecoach because it's the same kind of thing in the same arena or in the same venue, super hot in Palm Springs, but at least I would like the music. And something about me, I don't know if a lot of know-it-alls are into country music, but I fucking love country music. Fucking love. I would say it's probably my top most listened to genre behind Taylor Swift. Because Taylor Swift is her own genre, you know? But 
you know, Eric Church is headlining, Morgan Wallen, Miranda Lambert. I've seen Eric Church in concert. I saw him back in, I think, 2014 or 2015 and love Morgan Wallen's music. I know he's a shit person, but my God, he produces the best damn songs. So I would love to, if I had to pick, I would go to Stagecoach over Coachella, but I'm curious, what would the know-it-alls rather go to if you had to pick, gun to your head, Stagecoach or Coachella? Okay, next topic, Jacob Lordy hosting SNL. I kind of went over this in the last Trending Topics episode, but I don't know what about Jacob Elordi is losing his luster for me. When he was on Euphoria seasons one and two, I was obsessed. Like if I could literally model a perfect man or a guy that I would find to be attractive, like if I could paint him, this man would look like Jacob Elordi. Tall, kind of skinny, but toned. Like I love like a skinny guy, but who's toned. I hate muscles. Ugh gross I hate like super muscly guys Jacob Lordy's not super muscly he's just kind of tall kind of gangly dark hair just so hot you know and I was super into him during Euphoria and I loved him and Zendaya when they were together remember when they were together season one of Euphoria like what a trip feels like a different life it feels like another lifetime but when he started dating Olivia Jade the plot was lost for me and I've talked about this on my Celebrities That I Can't Stand episode. Something about Olivia Jade triggers me. And that's on being self-aware. You know, like she's a beautiful girl. She, and In fact, I've never even heard the girl talk. I've never watched a single YouTube video of hers. All I know about her is what I saw in that Netflix documentary about the Lori Laughlin getting her into USC via the rowing program. That's literally my only impression of her, but it's not good. Okay, and the fact that Jacob Elordi and Olivia Jade have been dating for as long as they have, I think they've been dating since 2021, so two and a half years, makes me question Jacob Elordi's character. I would prefer him to be with quite literally anyone else than Olivia Jade. And I, ever since then, when I used to like literally take a bullet for Jacob Elordi, now I'm like, I just don't fuck with him. And maybe that's me being misogynistic. <laughs> I don't, I don't care. Do you know what I mean? Some people just give you a bad feeling and Olivia Jade gives me a bad feeling and it's guilt by association. But on Dumois' latest episode with Shannon McNamara of Fluently Forward, oh my God, let me just say, I was so excited that Shannon was on Dew's podcast because you guys all know that Shannon trolls me for being a subscriber to Dumois and listening to the podcast, but Shannon's turned a new leaf and I'm very excited to have converted her into the Dumois podcast and even more excited and titillated that she was a guest. But on the episode where Shannon was was talking uh, or was featured, Dumois said that at the SNL after party, it seemed as if Jacob Lordy and Olivia J weren't even so much as really interacting. Jacob Lordy was schmoozing, talking with all the cast, you know, just being a ham, life of the party as he should because he was hosting it. Whereas Olivia Jade was kind of off in a corner, kind of just doing her own thing. And, you know, there's been so many breakup rumors about the two of them, and those were all next once we found out that Olivia Jade was in attendance at SNL. But then it makes me wonder if they weren't talking really at all. Was she just there showing face? Maybe perhaps showing emotional support, but they're not actually together? Would there ever be a world in which that happens? Like, you break up with your significant other, but you attend like a pretty big life event or career life, career changing moment for them by supporting them at SNL I could see I could see that from see that happening but I think in any case 
Jacob Lordy was someone who could have been the next Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, Leo. And he's kind of getting the Noah Centineo edit. Oh my God, I could, I, I want to do like a Noah Centineo episode because his whole career trajectory is so fascinating to me. Now I'm going on a tangent, but remember when he had a chokehold on all of us when he was into all the boys I loved before? And then he started dating Alexis Wren, but then he kind of fell off. Like he could have been the next Zac Efron, but now he's just kind of a joke. I feel like no one really takes him seriously. I almost feel like Jacob Elordi could get that edit, at least in my eyes. Maybe not to everyone else because everyone thinks that Saltburn is a cinematic masterpiece. You all know my thoughts on that from last week's episode, but yeah, Olivia Jade, Jade ruined it for me. Jacob Lording after Lordy after Saltburn, I'm like, I don't get it. And I'm just curious what the status of their relationship is because they've done a hell of a job trying to, you know, completely invalidate the rumors of the of the breakup. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is the Cloud Flare layoff, which was a nine minute video posted by Brittany Peach that went viral on TikTok. And if you aren't familiar with this cloud flare layoff TikTok video, let me just give you a quick update. So as you all know, or if you read the news, tech companies are laying people off left and right. In fact, I was laid off last year and many of my friends who are working in tech have also been laid off. And it's just something that happens, you know, and with a company as big as Cloudflare, obviously I don't know the severance package, but I'm willing to bet it was very generous with big tech companies like that, it typically is. And let's just go into this conversation with with that context. So Cloudflare is one of the many tech companies, SaaS companies that decided to lay off their employees. And this 28-year-old woman who was in sales, it sounded like, named Brittany Peach, was videoing, was recording this entire layoff process. And the HR individual who met with Brittany said, you have not met Cloudflare expectations for performance. We've decided to part ways with you. And then Brittany Peach responds and says that she has had the highest activity amongst her team since she joined. She said, quote, I've had three contracts out. I've done a really great job managing my deals up until the very end that decided not to close last minute. Okay, really quickly interjection. So nothing. So then basically you didn't close deals. I don't really care about all the effort that went into it. Did you close it or did you not? I digress. Let me go on. So I don't think that every, so I don't think that that makes a lot of sense for me in my Cloudflare journey here so far. I can't say Cloudflare for some reason. It's kind of a mouthful. Also, every single one-on-one I have with my manager, every conversation I've had with him, he has been giving me nothing but that I am doing a great job. And then Brittany goes on to say that uh, she wants to get the real reason from these two HR representatives as to why she's being laid off rather than, quote, making up some bullshit to cover up the possibility that Cloudflare hired too many people and can no longer afford employing all these people. And she goes on to say, if that's the real answer, I would rather just you tell me instead of making up some bullshit and telling me that right before I lose my job from someone that I've never met before, obviously alluding to the fact that her manager is not meeting with her to tell her about her being laid off, and instead it's two people from HR delivering the news, which, by the way, is protocol (laughs) for layoffs. You can't have your manager making that news because they could say something that could then get the company in trouble. It's a legal reason, like, hello. Okay, let me go on. Brittany Peach then explains that being laid off with no explanation is extremely traumatizing for people, and then goes on to say she wants more clarity on what performance metrics 
are, as she suspects that it's really vague, and it's a vague term that's being used to everyone that's being laid off. And then the HR representative goes on to say, we're not able to go into specifics, and we will not. And people, I was shocked, were praising her in these comments. And so much so, this video went so viral that the Cloudflare CEO went on and said that he he was really disappointed basically by the video and he felt it was really it was a painful to watch I think is the quote that he said and he felt for Brittany and you know of course they have to say that right it's all just PR <laughs> behind the scenes let me just say this from my own perspective of being laid off and just being in the industry I'm not claiming to be like this season six-year-old who knows everything about the business but just based on my knowledge and working in this in tech for 10 years Things just happen. Back in 2008, when I was in high school, there was a recession and I really didn't know anyone who was impacted other than maybe people's parents because I was not a working individual. But we're basically seeing a 2008 recession happen in 2023, 2024. This is our recession. and This is just what happens in the market. You have highs and you have lows. You have fluctuations. Things happen. You're on this trajectory where the company can afford to hire a bunch of new sales reps. They can't afford to hire a lot more back-end accounting and finance folks. And then when they realize that, oh my God, we have way too many people and we can no longer afford it, then layoffs happen. It's all about the bottom line. And maybe that's just my corporate indoctrinated head going up but that's just the way it works it's never personal and having been through a layoff myself you have to go on it with your head held high and remembering that's not about you and it's just the way that the world is the world spins right now and for every layoff that has happened like Brittany Peaches there's a million other people that have been laid off I mean look at LinkedIn everyone's getting laid off right now and this is just not to sound too preachy, but this is just important for me to speak out on just because I have a tiny little platform. But reading these comments of people being like, yes, queen, like, yes, yes, your manager should have laid you off. It's like, like I just said, uh, no, that's literally a terrible idea. I've had to deal with layoffs and people that have reported into me that were laid off. It's never a good idea for me to have said something directly to them. Again, because I'm probably putting my foot in my mouth and say the wrong thing and then put us liable for a lawsuit. But the most important thing I think that we should talk about is your reputation. The fact that this girl went on a very public platform, put her name, didn't even black out her face. If you're at least going to do a video like this, black out your face and your voice. Your, your face, your voice, your name, and the company's name. That's what, I mean, I wouldn't have done this at all to begin with, but her reputation will be tarnished for the rest of her life. No one will ever want to hire her. If I saw this girl on a resume and the the recruiter was like, hey, I talked to this girl, I would have Googled her name and sold her, seen her all over online doxing the company. Unacceptable. And I looked up her age. She's, I'm seeing two different ages, 27, 28. She's probably 28 since, you know, the 27 article was written. That just makes so much sense. I just... And I'm not trying to shit on Gen Z or millennials, but you just got to, you got to put your head down and you have to work hard. If you want to make it in corporate life, if you want to roll up the corporate ladder, you just got to keep your head down, take the bullshit like a damn bitch and keep it moving. And unfortunately, that's just how it works. It's not about, you know, wanting to change the game. You just have to play the game. And unfortunately, because I've been indoctrinated for so many years, I've seen enough to know that 
being the one that calls, that speaks up, that tries to change anything will do nothing. HR is always on the side of the company. They always will be on the side of the company. And it's never in your best interest to try and change that. Just keep your head down. Do good work. Get your job done right with quality. It's not, I don't know. I just think that this was a huge miss on this girl's part and maybe she's 28 and she doesn't realize the repercussions of what she could be doing right now and how this reflects on herself and her career as time goes on but this was not a good look for me and I was so shocked to see how many people were praising her because I thought this was the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen and honestly if I were Cloudflare I would want to sue her I don't know if that's even an option I know I'm just like speaking in circles but it's just what a dumb, dumb girl. Okay, let me move on. Really quickly, I want to talk about Justin Timberlake's new song, Selfish. Okay, so we were talking about it in the podcast collective group chat, and I think opinions were either one way or another. I really liked it, and I'm not even a Justin Timberlake apologist. I don't really care. I'm very indifferent to his career now. Sure, when he was putting out future sex love sounds and justified I was obsessed but you know now in 2024 I'm very indifferent towards him if he puts out a new single I'll listen to it I thought this song was fabulous now was it his best song was it better than Senorita Chomp Me Up Sexy Back uh Cry Me a River I don't know but I thought it was amazing. Like, I think, you know, he put out that album, Man of the Woods, and I don't even think I listened to a single song because the album flopped so badly. But I thought it was objectively a great song. And say what you want about Justin Timberlake, but I think Justin Timberlake does not get enough credit for his roles in movies. And I talked about this on my Instagram Oh my God, if you guys have Apple TV, please watch the movie Palmer, P-A-L-M-E-R. He is the main character in it. And just to give you a quick kind of summary, he's this man who was recently convicted but released from jail after being in jail for years. And he's trying to, you know, pick up the pieces of his life that he left upon his incarceration. 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 Am I okay? And... He starts working as a school janitor at this local elementary school and he befriends this young boy who actually happens to be his next door neighbor. And this young boy is really leaning into his feminine side. He likes playing with dolls. He likes makeup. And Justin Timberlake has kind of, you'll see as the movie evolves, but it's kind of the relationship that he has with this kind of different boy. And kind of, it's just really sweet and I was sobbing at the end and Justin Timberlake was absolutely brilliant in it and I was very sh- I mean I think the reason maybe it didn't get that much press was because this was a movie that was part of that Justin Timberlake scandal when he was caught in New Orleans canoodling with his co-star it's her name is Alicia Wainwright it's the co-star from this movie Palmer and who plays his love interest in the movie but maybe that's why I didn't get a lot of press because there was so much scandal surrounding the movie but my god the movie is incredible was obsessed and it'll make you sob if you want a tearjerker please watch it he just he slaps with all of his movies the social network just friends alpha dog oh my god can we talk about alpha dog another one of my favorite movies oscar worthy honestly i'm not even just saying this like that movie with emil hirsch and justin timberlake is phenomenal and it's based on a true story another one you guys should watch i think it's on max But anyways, JT does not get enough 
credit for his movie roles. And I'm saying all of his personal shit aside, you guys should definitely watch Palmer and Alpha Dog. Okay, let me move on to Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I know it's been a couple of episodes since the Garcelle and Dorit, you know, attack gate happened. And, oh gosh, I don't even, I don't want to misspeak, but... I feel like the attack thing, her Garcelle saying that the word attack was triggering for her coming from Dorit, I felt like that was kind of blown out of proportion. This term has been used so many damn times on the show and I feel like Garcelle was just trying to prove a point because she, Dorit, you know, has said a lot of, I don't think Dorit and Garcelle will ever mesh and I think there's just been so many instances of Dorit's microaggressions towards Garcelle over the past couple of years on the show that Garcelle decided oh maybe maybe subconsciously I don't think she intended you know I don't think she intended for this to come across as disingenuous I think Garcelle genuinely felt attacked I mean not not attacked but Garcelle definitely felt othered when Dorit used the word attack and I think Garcelle in her spirit and in her heart does believe that that was a racist microaggression from Dorit against Garcelle. I do believe that Garcelle thinks that in her heart, but I think we need to take ourselves into the context of their relationship. And Dorit has just done so many things towards Garcelle that Garcelle has found to be unacceptable. And I think it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Over months and years of of things that Garcelle receives as microaggression, she kind of thought, okay, I'm going to use the word attack or Dorit's use of the word attack as the ammunition for me to finally call her out for who she is. It wasn't that specific event in isolation. I think it was a culmination of so many different things that Garcelle has against Dorit for her to be like, oh, finally I can use this, you know? And it just, it felt like a stretch to me. But what I found to be very interesting was Garcelle and frankly, a lot of the other cast, Kyle as well over this past episode, keep they keep continuing this narrative that crystal is reserved oh crystal typically keeps her opinions to herself unless it comes to anna marie oh crystal is really reserved you know oh crystal finally has an opinion that in and of itself is a microaggression it's a stereotype amongst asian women that we are reserved that we're shy we do as we're told and to an extent right stereotypes i guess exist for a reason i think that is an asian stereotype being asian myself and having grown up amongst many asians we typically do keep to ourselves. Like it's it's kind of true. We don't like to serve the pot. But if you're going to bring that energy, Garcelle, about Dorit coming at you using the word attack, then you cannot come at Car- uh, Crystal calling her reserve and that she never speaks up and that she never has an opinion. How is that any different than the microaggression that you used with the, with the term attack and using that to weaponize it against Dorit? I, I just can't with Garcelle and... I think that Dorit, I don't think she had any malintent using that term attack. If you hear it in the context of the entire conversation, she used that term correctly, I think. And I don't think she meant anything by it. But Garcelle continues to hone in on the fact that, no, Dorit, I think you used that word to attack me. And it's like, do you really truly think that, Garcelle? Really? And I was even going into Garcelle's comments. Black women were in the comments 
saying to Garcelle, listen, Garcelle, like, I'm a black woman. You shouldn't, this, you can fight many battles to prove that microaggressions do in fact exist and racism and, and unconscious bias and does exist, but this is not the hill that you want to die on. And I don't want to seem out of pocket for saying this, but I think that if you're going to bring that energy to your screen, then you better fucking be clean yourselves. Like before you point your fingers, make sure that your entire MO is also clean. But in calling Crystal reserved and having zero opinions for herself is so fucking, in my opinion, that is racist. That is a microaggression. So just some food for thought, you know. Um, Okay, next thing I want to talk about is American Nightmare. Why is no one talking about this documentary on Netflix? I typically am not a Netflix person. I feel like their shows aren't the best. For example, I'm watching True Detective on Max for the first season with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Max has White Lotus. They have, they just have the best shows. It's so well made. It's so well produced. But then you go to Netflix and I'm watching the show. I was watching this show called Fool Me Once. It's a British criminal procedural show. Eight episodes, about an hour long. It is so stupid. And you know on TikTok how there's those memes of, there's this one guy that that does them. He'll enact, act out an entire scene from like a movie that you can like generally recall. Like for example, he did one for my best friend's wedding and it's like when your best friend's getting married to a woman and you've loved him for 15 years and then he'll act out the entire thing for like six minutes and you forgot your forget that you're actually watching a TikTok. That's what Fool Me Once feels like. It feels like this is a parody skit on TikTok that I'm watching on my Netflix screen. It's it's horrible. But that is literally number one most watched show on Netflix right now. It continues continues to show up on my most popular on Netflix. And American Nightmare is number two. How does that make sense? You guys need to watch it. It's basically, it starts, it's very interesting because it shows how journalism and how points of views can really change someone's opinion. So the first episode of the documentary is this man describing how his girlfriend had been kidnapped in the middle of the night. And he paints and weaves this seemingly insane story saying how this perpetrator came in, they tied him up, they covered his eyes with ski go- with swim goggles. They stole his girlfriend in the middle of the night. They drugged him and the girlfriend by giving them sedatives and NyQuil. And he was attempting to get his girlfriend back via ransom. And basically, he weaves this and talks about this whole story on the interrogation tape. And the police are not buying any single part of this story. It sounds insane when you're you're watching episode one, you're like, these fucking people. And if you're, if any of you are at all uh, familiar with the Sherry Papini case, it sounded very Sherry Papini-esque. And if you're not familiar with her story, basically she set up her own kidnapping and then she came back like five days later and it come to find out that she staged the entire thing. That's what American Nightmare is prepping the viewer to think in episode one. Then episode two, you come across her point of view, the girlfriend who was kidnapped and who is later released and you're thinking this bitch is she for real right now like is she lying this doesn't this seems too crazy to even be true and then episode three all it takes is one female cop in the bay area who is able to pull together a couple pieces make a few phone calls 
and get the perpetrator and catch him. And it com- you come to find out that these people weren't lying after all. And it's it's a crazy ride. The first episode, I was on the phone with my friend. We Sometimes me and my best friend, she lives in Houston. We'll watch shows together and we'll mute, our, mute ourselves and we'll watch it at the same time. The first episode, we're like, this bitch is crazy. This boyfriend is crazy. They deserve to be jailed. Like, how dare they? We this intricate plot that is just not real. And then you realize the entire thing was real. And it's it's so crazy to watch. And again, it just shows you how certain documentaries can truly sway your point of view depending on what angle or story they're trying to represent. And it's really interesting because it takes place in Orange County. This girlfriend that was kidnapped was originally from Huntington Beach. You know, they lived up in the Bay Area by Sacramento. She was taken hostage in Tahoe. It's I highly recommend it and I'm sorry I just spoiled it but you guys have to watch it for yourselves it's 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 so good okay let's move on to Sophia Ritchie being pregnant she revealed the first sex or the sex of her first baby with her husband Elliot Grange Sophia told Vogue she's growing pretty fast and the due date is a bit up in the air she goes on to say that I've learned more in the past six months than I have in my entire life and also just like what the female body is capable of. Every week brings new things, whether it's hormonal shifts or expansion. There's just so much our bodies go through and it's so interesting to experience it all. And she says pregnancy is really scary and you want to protect that space. I didn't realize, realize there are so many milestones that you have to hit and so many tests you have to take. For me, it was really important to protect our mental health and our space as a couple. Okay, first of all, Mazatov. Tov for this happy couple genuinely like we, we love to see a woman who's happily pregnant and you know I wish for them a healthy and happy baby that aside I cannot fucking stand this woman uh, you know because her wedding was in April 2023 in the south of France you remember that when it took over our entire TikTok the quiet luxury oh my god Sophia so quiet luxury it's like Mary-Kate and Ashley have been doing that since day one okay first of all they never got the credit that Sophia Richie did. Second of all, as I've said before, let's not let us not forget. Nicole Richie walked so Sophia Richie could run. You know, we forget to put respect on Nicole's name. It's almost as if she's a blip in the radar. I hear how it's like on Instagram photos. It's like Nicole Richie, Sophia Richie's sister. It's like, don't you mean it the other way around? Sophia Richie, Nicole Richie's sister. Or sorry, Nicole Richie. You guys get what I mean. <laughs> Nicole is the one and only, the GOAT, the first one to do it, the first reality star, expert, hilarious. She just seems like such a fun hang. And I hate that we as a society are forgetting about Sophia's predecessor, Nicole. And something about whoever her PR team is, Sophia's, how they have dragged this wedding on. Like I'm still reading about it. I'm still seeing it on my TikTok algorithm. Sophia Richie gets married in the south of France. In a million dollar way, it's like, oh my God, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. And we're just going to have to be fed this for another 18 months. I guarantee they're going to show this for everything it is worth. And I am dried to the bone. I don't care about this content anymore. I just really, I really could care less. And I just don't understand the hype around her. Maybe someone can explain it to me. I, I genuinely do not understand what about her is so fascinating I was reading on Reddit and I don't know how true this is or I haven't investigated the story really much at all but I think this is kind of something that's said amongst the internet 
that Elliot Grange was actually Sophia Richie's ex-best friend's ex-boyfriend. So basically she stole her best friend's boyfriend after they had broken up. And people don't talk about that because her PR team is essentially just like tree pain level of craziness. I thought that was really... So yeah, add her to the list of Meppo babies that I don't really love. I don't know what you guys' thoughts are, but that's just my... It's my opinion. Okay, let's move on to the last topic. Celebrity makeup and skincare brands. So I caved and I bought Hailey Bieber's Road Lip Balm, the Peptide Lip Balm. I got it in the watermelon flavor. I am obsessed. Okay, so my lip balms that I use most frequently are the Summer Fridays Lip Balm. I have the vanilla beige and that was kind of my go-to. I would say the road lip balm is very similar to Summer Fridays but better. Summer Fridays is almost too goopy and thick and sometimes it's like it's one of those lip balms that your hair continually gets stuck to and it just feels so sticky that it's almost annoying. Road has that same soothing moisturizing feeling on your lips without being too mushy and cakey and goopy. Does that make sense? I highly recommend it. I saw that she recently uh, launched a road cleanser. It's this pineapple cleanser and it's marketed as sunshine in a bottle. And truthfully, if I had to pick any celebrity brand when it comes to skincare to work with, it would probably be road because she's worked with a certified board certified licensed dermatologist to create all of her products. And based on the road lip balm, I'm sold. Like I would definitely use a road cleanser. And I think what's really interesting is pineapple enzymes are actually very helpful in in your skincare products. I know that the place I go to for facials, they use this pineapple enzyme exfoliant. And it's interesting that Hailey Bieber is using pineapple in her cleanser because it really does help, I think, breakouts and irritation and, and melasma. So I am really, really obsessed with road and I kind of want to buy more of this, more of her stuff. Kylie Cosmetics launched her Power Plush Longwear Foundation and a lot of people are comparing it to Giorgio Armani Luminous Silk and I'm seeing a bunch of reviews on TikTok and mind you they're all sponsored because Kylie Jenner sent a PR box to these individuals so you have to take it with you know what they say with a grain of salt but people are loving it on TikTok and I'm genuinely just so curious like I want to buy it just because I'm so curious but when I see people painting the foundation onto their faces on TikTok. It, it comes out with a lot of yellow undertones. I don't know if you guys have kind of noticed that. And for me and my foundations, I really love like a dewy kind of wet look. And Kylie's foundation leans a bit more between the dewy and the matte. So she says it's like a satin finish. So it's not really dewy and it's not matte at all. It's somewhere in between. But some people really like it. So I, I'd be curious if anyone have you, of you has tried the Kylie Cosmetics Power Plush Foundation. Do you like it? What are your thoughts? Do you think it's worth the money? I am such a sucker for things like this that are marketed on TikTok because I'm so easily influenced. I'm like, oh, this TikTok creator said they liked it. I'm going to buy it, you know. And Jeffree Star has does a lot of makeup routines and he actually said it was was very good. He really liked it. And I... I know Jeffree Star has his share, his fair share of controversies, but I feel like when it comes to makeup, he's kind of a trusted source, no? And finally, I want to talk about the Rare Beauty body lotion. So I bought it. It's $28 from Sephora. It smells really nice. The thing with the body lotion is it doesn't, 
the smell doesn't really stay. So it smells really nice once you pump it out and lay it onto your skin. But after a couple of minutes, that that scent and that fragrance really starts to go away. The lotion itself is really, it's really nice and it's super hydrating. But I think if you're a fan of like long wear scent and fragrance, this is not the body lotion for you. One other thing that really bugs me about the packaging is it's very difficult for you to get the lotion out. You have to, it's in this like cylindrical container and you really have to use every muscle in your hand to squeeze out the lotion. And I read on like the Sephora Reddit, people have that same issue with it. They're like, it's really hard to take it out of the, of the packaging and squeeze it out onto your hand because it's like just the way it is. I would have much preferred like a pump or something like that. I don't know. And which is really surprising because all of Rare Beauty products are such that because Selena has lupus, she makes it so that all of her products are really easy to open. Like all of her foundations, her blushes, everything has that same kind of twist cap so that it's easy to open. So I was really surprised to see the new body lotion being this difficult to to squirt out, you know, the contents inside the bottle. But in any case, anything that my girl Selena puts out, I'm going to be buying. So if you're interested in the body lotion, I would say go for it. Like I really like it despite it being hard to open. It smells nice and it's super hydrating. Okay, well guys, that is it. Sorry, I feel like I had a lot of hot takes this episode and I feel like I'm going to get a lot of people in my DMs being like, you're being so unfair to the Gen Z TikTok. Gen Z employee. But this is, this is my opinion, okay? Being a millennial in the workforce for as long as I have, being in dire, dire straits some of the times, this is just my opinion, okay? I love you guys so much. Please follow me on Instagram. Please rate this show a five stars because some people are giving me a one star and I would really appreciate it if you guys would give me a five star review. I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye.